You know, some people enjoy composing their own music, chord by chord, and others are happiest when they come across that one perfect song. Work is not a lot different than that. Whether you prefer building your own workflow or using a pre-made template, with Monday.com, you and the team can work in a way that's comfortable for everyone. Tap the banner to go to Monday.com and build your own amazing workflow or find an awesome template. No judgment. The LED screen on your dashboard flashes orange. Your tank is low. A neon sign on the distant roadside invites you in. You slow down and turn right. Gas is more expensive than you've ever seen it as you grab the nozzle. You wait, watching the total cost crank slowly upwards. You close your eyes only for a moment. When you open them again, every light at the gas station has turned off. Before you can freak out, you hear it. The breathing. Breathing from something so large just above you that you can't even imagine what it might be from. Then, the spittle of warm saliva hits your shoulder. You can't help but steadily look up. Welcome back to Unexplained Encounters. I'm your host, Darkness Prevails. This week, I've got some very creepy stories from two different settings, gas stations and the suburbs. There will be creepers and creatures alike, so I hope you're ready. Remember to send us your scary stories at darkstories.org. I'm looking for stories about monsters seen while camping or disturbing creatures seen in Sweden. Don't forget, you can catch hours of awesome and terrifying content on our other shows over at eeriecast.com. That's E-E-R-I-E cast.com. Now, let's begin. Gas Station Creep from Optical Illusion I started working part-time at a local gas station convenience store over the summer of 2016 to earn some extra money while attending college. When I was hired, I was informed that female employees were never scheduled to work overnight shifts for obvious safety reasons, which I was relieved to hear. I wasn't so much worried about my safety, but I was concerned about getting enough sleep before classes. It wasn't long before I found myself dreading the days I had to work though, as the job turned out to be much more difficult than I had anticipated. We were always short-staffed, which forced us to constantly multitask between running cash registers, preparing food, keeping eyes on pumps, cleaning, stocking, etc. To make matters worse, the two women who managed the place were awful in every way, and I frequently found myself biting my tongue and talking myself out of quitting. I was especially on edge when they cut our 15-minute break down to 10 minutes as I never seemed to have enough time to use the restroom and smoke a cigarette fast enough. But it wasn't until several annoying encounters with a regular that I finally started to break. Let's call him James. James was younger than me, maybe late teens or early 20s, and he thought he owned the place. Perhaps being the grandson of one of the managers gave him a sense of entitlement to screw with people there. The first time I met James, he approached the counter to purchase some chewing tobacco. As I was ringing him up, I of course asked to see his ID. Then he reminded me who he was related to, but I politely asked again to see his ID. Another employee overheard our conversation and assured me he was old enough, 
so I went ahead and rang him up. Staring at me intently the whole time, he looked down at my name tag and said, Mindy, that's a pretty name. I thanked him for the compliment and gave him his dip, but he continued talking to me and asking several personal questions. He wanted to know where I lived, what my last name was, whether or not I had a boyfriend. Meanwhile, a long line had formed behind him, and not trying to be rude, I said something like, Sorry, there's a line behind you. And I casually motioned for the next customer to come up. But James didn't leave. He simply stepped to the side and continued talking to me, watching me, as I rang each customer up. It was immediately uncomfortable and unsettling for me, but I did my best to pretend like I wasn't bothered, even when his persistence escalated and another co-worker told him to leave me alone. James soon began to make more appearances after that. The second time was with his girlfriend and another male friend by his side. Yes, he had a girlfriend, and I was very confused when he began to flirt with me again, this time right in front of her. Oddly enough, she didn't say a word. So I brushed it off and played along, assuming he was just the goof that my co-workers said he was. But when he sat in a booth with his sidekicks at the back of the store, I could still feel his eyes burning a hole right through me. Over time, I grew more suspicious of James. I would witness him do and say countless things to hurt others. I knew that he was annoying, and I'd learned to brush it off as an all-in-good-fun type of humor, like everyone else did. But when I caught him making fun of another co-worker to her face, all I could feel was anger towards him. I removed her from the situation by taking her place at the register, as I could tell she was very hurt and embarrassed by his comments. And by doing so, it was apparent to James that I did not approve. He would continue to cruelly harass this girl, and even some of the customers who came in, but trying to make him stop was like scolding a child. I didn't lash out at him, though. I just began to ignore him. James then began to play these head games with me while I was working. He would take soda and candy, walk outside without paying for it, and then come back in the store and say that I forgot to ring it up, loud enough for everyone to hear. One night, he even filled up his gas tank and took off without paying for it, before returning to say he had forgotten to pay. He knew he'd always get away with it, because Granny was the manager. By this point, it wouldn't have surprised me if he really was stealing gas and food from the store. There was something dark and strange lurking behind his goofball facade, and I avoided him like the plague, though it was nearly impossible to do at times. Then one day, while I was working alone with another co-worker, we were very busy with tasks as usual, when lo and behold, James walked in by himself. I muttered under my breath, pain in the rear, and I walked straight back into the freezer to finish what I was working on earlier. But James followed me inside the freezer. I didn't realize he was there until he walked right up behind me, asking why I didn't greet him anymore. Startled, I jumped and quickly turned around, grabbing my chest and asking him what the heck he was doing back here. He laughed as I told him I was busy and reminded him that only employees could be in this area. He ignored everything I said. Instead, he proceeded to ask me more personal questions, just like he did the first day I met him. You never told me where you live, he reminded me. I'm 
curious about you. I just want to know. Tell me where you live. He was moving closer and closer to me, literally backing me into the corner of the freezer. Are you afraid of me, Mindy? He asked. I tried to push past him, telling him to move, but he kept stepping in front of me, blocking my way, blocking my escape. Not until you answer me, he said. I started calling out for my coworker, who showed up and gave him heck for being in the freezer. Finally, then, I was able to push past James, and I made my way to the front counter, where I looked at the clock and saw that it was time for me to go home. I gathered my things and punched out as quickly as I could, but James followed me to the parking lot. Quickly, I got into my car, but James had managed to grab the top of my door before I was able to shut it. Come on, just let me see your ID, he persisted. I repeatedly told him no, before I found myself practically begging him to let go of my door so I could go home. He grinned at me and warned me, don't make me follow you, Mandy. Chills ran down my spine, knowing how bold of a person he was and considering the fact that he literally just cornered me in the freezer only minutes ago, I highly expected him to follow through. Threatened by visions of what my drive home might soon look like, I became angry. I looked him dead on before shouting, Let go of my freaking door and stay away from me. I then grabbed the door handle and ripped the door shut as hard as I could. He tried yanking on the door handle to tear the door open from the outside, but luckily I locked the doors in time. He then began to bang on my window, demanding to see my ID but I started my car and backed away from him. I turned the wheels and hightailed it out of there. I saw him just standing there, watching me speed off down the road. I was never so glad to finally get away from him, but I was paranoid the whole way home, thinking that he could possibly catch up to me on the road, even though I never saw his vehicle behind me. I would end up quitting my job after this, and I didn't care that my hiring manager was teed off about it. I had enough of everything, and dealing with James was the last straw. I didn't bother explaining anything to my manager, because it was apparent to me that James was probably never held accountable for anything he ever did wrong in his life, and he likely never would be. I never saw him again after that, and I hope I never do, either. James was a jerk, a clown, a joker, but he was also borderline psychotic. This episode is sponsored by June's Journey. Do you believe in monsters? And given the chance, would you be brave enough to track one down on your own? In June's Journey, people are the true monsters, and you can live the story yourself rather than sitting back and listening to one. June's Journey is a hidden object game with a thrilling murder mystery set in the Roaring Twenties. You play as June on the hunt for your sister's murderer. Discover clues through exciting hidden object scenes with beautiful and atmospheric illustrations and music. Victory brings you closer to new plot points and suspenseful answers. When not hunting for clues, you can customize your own luxurious estate island with gardens, buildings, and decor or chat and play with or against other players too, in the Detective Club, where you could even put your skills to the test in the Detective League. 
June's journey is both relaxing and fun to play. With my busy schedule, I find it's the perfect game to pick up and play whenever I've got a free moment. It doesn't demand too much time, and it's pretty satisfying solving puzzles quickly and unlocking new clues. Can you crack the case? Download June's Journey for free today on iOS and Android. Gas Station Creeper from Anonymous It was the summer of 2010. I was a 16-year-old guy, and my friend Ryan had just hooked me up with a great job at a gas station. The job had all sorts of perks, like getting discounts and getting free soda from the fountain in the gas station. But the only thing that sucked was the location of the station. It was a good 30 minutes outside of the city I lived in, in the middle of nowhere. The road that led to my work branched off the highway I took to get there. My shift was the graveyard shift, from 10pm to 3am. It didn't really bother me though, because I was a night owl myself, and I usually didn't go to sleep until around 5am. During that time frame, people rarely came in, and if they did, it was just to put money for gas. But for the most part, my shift was dead. I was never scared or worried about the people that came in. Until this one day. It was towards the end of my shift, and I had about a half hour left to go until I could finally go home. There were about five people coming in during my shift, which meant it was busier than usual. I was sitting at the cash register, scrolling through Instagram, bored out of my mind. By then, an hour had passed since the last customer had come in to buy a soda or gas. I got up to go to the bathroom, because I drank probably around three gallons of soda that night. My manager told me I had to lock the doors to the gas station when I went to the bathroom, since I was the only one there at the time. However, I didn't think it was a problem, so this time, I decided not to lock them. No one ever really came in, so I didn't find it necessary to lock them. Once I was done and all washed up, I walked out of the bathroom and went back to the register. That's when I noticed a man had entered the store. Immediately, I felt upset with myself because the one time I didn't lock the door, someone had to come in. He was standing on the other side of the small gas station, looking at the beer. He was swaying from side to side, like he was on a rocking ship. The man was very talkative, and was wearing all black pants and a hoodie with his hood on. His clothes were covered in dirt, as if he had just gotten done rolling around outside. His smell was the worst part, because he smelled like pee and roadkill. The smell covered the whole store. I ended up having to cover my nose with my shirt. I wasn't creeped out just yet or anything, more curious. The creepiness began, though, when he didn't move. He kept standing there, swaying back and forth for ten minutes, looking at the same beer, facing away from me. I thought he must have been drunk or something, but I doubted that drunk people could stand there that long. After those ten minutes, I talked to him from the cash register. Sir? He didn't say anything, just continued to sway looking at the beer. Sir, are you going to buy something? I called again, but he didn't say a word. I was very creeped out at this point, and I didn't know what to do. The next thing I did was one of the dumbest things I've ever done. I decided to try to get him to leave. I walked down the short aisle to him. 
I tapped him on his back, and I told him that he needed to leave. It came out as more of a whimper because I was scared out of my mind at this point. The second I told him this, he stopped swaying. Slowly, he turned around and looked down at me. The fear I felt then was like none I'd ever felt before. I couldn't breathe. I couldn't move or speak. Once I saw his face, I became petrified. I just stood there, staring at him. His face was covered in dirt, and he looked like he was a hundred years old. Blood spilled out of a gash that started at the top left of his forehead and went diagonally across his face. It looked as if he was struck in the face by an axe. His eyes were the worst part. They were milky white, as if he was blind. He just stared at me. I don't know if he was actually blind or only partly, but it felt as if he was looking into my soul. Then he pushed me with more force than I thought he had. I tripped and fell back onto the ground. That's when he pulled out a 10-inch knife, something he had been hiding. The tip was covered in blood. My heart pounded as he loomed over me, like a lion standing over a hurt gazelle. Then the shock wore off, and I began to think more clearly. I pushed down with my hands and was able to push myself back onto my feet. I turned as quickly as I could and ran to the bathroom, slamming the door shut and locking it. The bathroom was a small square white box with graffiti all over the place. The mirror was cracked, which was kind of ironic considering all the bad luck I was having. I reached for my phone in my pocket, but I'd forgotten I'd left it by the register. I saw the shadow of the man outside. Then, I heard the tap, tap, tap of what must have been his knife on the door. Open up, the creeper said from just outside the door. He began to bang on the door then, harder and harder by the second. At that point, I just wanted to sit in a corner and go to sleep, so I didn't have to deal with this anymore. But that's when I remembered there was a window above the toilet. It was one of those small rectangular windows. I got on the toilet and began to open the window. I pushed out the screen, and then I looked back. The man had made a large dent in the side of the door. It was enough that I could see outside of it. I cursed out loud, then squeezed myself through the window head first. I fell on my hands, suddenly feeling a sharp pain jolting up from one of them. I squealed a little. Pushing past the pain, I got up and began to run down the street. I looked back. The man was now running at top speed after me. My adrenaline kicked in. I continued to run down the road as fast as I could. After about five minutes, I had to stop to catch my breath. I glanced back. I noticed the psycho was not following me anymore. I continued to walk alongside the road. After walking for God knows how long, the sun began to come up. I was tempted to stick my hand out and hitchhike but the last thing I wanted to was to interact with another stranger. I was coming up on a rest stop where I saw a police cruiser. I ran right over to it. I told the officer inside everything that had happened. He drove with me back to the gas station to get my phone and to check things out. When we got there, the man was gone. And to this day, from my understanding of it, he has never been found. I quit my job after that incident.
Now my greatest fear is for that man to show up at my new night job. I never want to see him again, and I just want to forget about what happened. Close Call at the Gas Station From Anonymous I lived in Augusta, Georgia for about two years. This experience is the sole reason I left, and I think about it almost every day. I lived with my husband and mother-in-law when his father and sisters came to visit. His parents liked to drink and were way too drunk to get more alcohol. Thus, they asked my husband and I to get more. I resent this more than anything. As you'll soon see, it would have prevented the further events if my husband did not passively agree to his parents' wishes. There was a somewhat shady gas station just up the road where we lived. I'm a year older than him, so I was 21, but he was still 20. I was the one who went to purchase the alcohol. As soon as I entered, alone, I might add, I noticed four strange men in dark baggy clothing. And right away they noticed me. They started staring. I'm a reasonably attractive girl, so I figured they were just gawking. I ignored this and went to the back of the store, grabbing a six-pack of beer. I then brought it to the counter. As I did this, the men were behind me. Some flags went up as I noticed they were practically scanning me with their eyes. I paid for my things and left. I didn't notice the men follow me out. As we pulled back out onto the main road, I saw a car behind us, but I didn't think much of it. We pulled in front of our house and I saw behind me the car. It had parked right behind us. Two men ran out of the car and in front of us, blocking us getting out of our car. My husband was in the front and I was in the back. They both pointed guns at us. One was pointed at me, the other at my husband. One of the men began to speak. Give me the pocketbook. It was one of those moments you could not believe was happening. I began to speculate if our lives would end at that moment. Just as I was in a flustered daze, I completely drowned out the man's voice and looked at my husband. He was calling 911 while the gun was in his face. I remember yelling at him, Brian, we're both going to be dead before anyone can help us. Then the man started to count. Give it or I'll shoot. One. Two. Three. I didn't want to know how far he would count before he shot us, so I gave in and handed him the wallet. The two men got back in their car and peeled out. It was very foggy and dark that night. Both my husband and I are nearsighted, so we couldn't get a plate number or a good description of the men in the car. My husband carried me into the house absolutely hysterical. I broke down on the hallway stairs as his parents and sisters came to us in concern. His parents seemed to sober up as my husband explained what happened. He then called 911 afterwards. I remember looking at his parents and silently cursing them for making us go out there. As my husband was on the phone, I suddenly remembered the men in the gas station. When the police arrived, he said he could not give a good description of either the men or the car. I immediately recommended checking the gas station security cameras, as I was followed by the men previously. They made a report and gave us a card in case anything came up. Unfortunately, I never heard anything back, even after all the times I called. 
I never saw my wallet again, nor do I know what happened to those men. I cancelled all my credit cards afterwards. We've long since moved to Tennessee, and it's been five years. I still wonder what became of those men, if they were ever caught, if they robbed someone else or worse. I also wonder if the guns were fake, or if we could have avoided the situation at all. My husband and I have a beautiful son who will be two in February, and I still think about how he never would have existed if those men had pulled the trigger. This idea is beyond haunting. Just to think because a couple of drunks needed more beer. I still resent them for that. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. A Walk to the Gas Station From Cagiest Nickel, 72 This story happened in Utah. I've lived here all my life and know the state pretty well. I had a great friend of mine spending the night one night. We'd been friends since about 4th grade, and at the time we were both in about 7th or 8th grade. I lived maybe 10 minutes of a walk away from a common sense, which is a gas station for those who have never heard of it. There was also a school just off the corner from my house at the time. My friend and I were getting hungry, so we looked through the house, but nothing was there that we wanted. Eventually, we decided to combine some of our allowance money to go to that gas station. We didn't end up walking by the house where the scary stuff happened on the way there. Instead, we walked by a main road to the gas station. The main road was a little behind the school, so that was our reason to walk by such a busy road. But something was off. There were barely any cars on it. It was basically a highway. I didn't think much of this at the time. We finally made it to the gas station. There was still a bit of light out, as the sun was going down behind the mountains. We decided to set outside the gas station, snacking a little, before we began our walk home. Now here's the part when things start to feel really weird. I've always been pretty good on feeling if something was off. Just as we started walking home on a back road path, I was staring at the sky trying to figure out this feeling of anxiety. I seemed almost panicky, and I wasn't sure why. This is when me and my buddy began to notice this weird star formation shifting around, like the stars were swapping places. He and I both mentioned it at the same time. I then asked him, Do you have a really bad feeling too? Uh, like something's about to happen? He said yes. There were at least 15 shooting stars in the matter of minutes, which got us feeling even more weird than before. As I knew the area better, I was leading the way back home. I decided to take a road that would lead us right to the school. When we turned onto this road, I felt sick to my stomach. It was then that I set eyes on that house. The blinds were open with a sliding glass door so we could see in clear as day. As we got closer, we saw a lady standing there, looking into a walk-in pantry. She was pale as snow, 
and her hair was messy, standing straight up. My friend said we should take a different road, but I didn't want to walk a longer distance as my legs were getting tired. So I said, let's just push on through. We kept walking and at about 60 to 50 yards away, we didn't even see her move and our eyes never dropped from that door. She was in the middle of the kitchen looking in our direction then. She was perfectly still, face unchanging, but when I got a good look, it chilled me to my core and I froze for a moment. Her face was not human. Her jaw was more open than humanly possible. Her eyes were wide open, but no eyes were there, like it was just the sockets. And as dumb as it sounds, there were these black upside-down crosses on her face with popping out black veins. As I rubbed my eyes to make sure that what I was seeing was real, the lights within turned off. I could no longer even see a silhouette of her. We kept on walking. 20 to 30 yards later, we see her door sliding open, with really long fingers gripping it. But I didn't see her come out. My buddy and I then start speed walking. We get near the deck, which is around 15 feet high. That's when we hear something. It was the woman screaming that she was going to kill us at the top of her lungs. Right after that, we heard the high-pitched scream of a little girl. My head shot around to see her jumping off the deck, landing face first on the ground. But then she proceeded to crawl fast right at us. We ran full speed, dropping whatever snacks we had left. As we got to the corner across the street, I turned around to see if it was still coming. What I saw was terrifying. Three to four tall figures, around nine feet tall, they were coming, along with that woman crawling at us. We ran all the way home for around four to five blocks straight. Ever since that day, I'll never go near that house again. And I hope that what we saw that night was nothing more than a shared illusion. Werewolf Sightings Around the Suburbs of Denver From C. Philly 100 these are going to be short, but they're interesting, as these make two and three sightings in or around the greater Denver metro area. Number one. A young girl was up late one night, looking out the second-story window of her suburban home in the Parker area, where it's semi-rural, but there are still covenant communities drawing power from the grid. She witnessed a werewolf-like creature step out into the streetlight. She described it as the classic werewolf, with strong, rippling muscles, short, dark hair, backwards legs, and human-like hands. She said the head looked like a big wolf, with glowing amber eyes. She saw it look right up at her. It wasn't menacing, but it was very aware of her, even from a distance. It was so still she had to blink her eyes. The only motion was a slight ruffling of its fur in the breeze. I guess at some point it left, then she went to bed, but of course, no one believed her about her encounter. Number two. A teenager was babysitting her younger sister while their parents went out to dinner in the Golden Arvada area. Their parents were due home soon, and so the two sisters were watching out the window to see if they could run out and surprise them. Just then, the motion light in the front yard kicked on, and they watched with horror 
as a werewolf, of all things, stepped out into the yard. It looked right at them and seemed to glide back and forth, almost as if it was on a mechanical track or something. It grinned at them and seemed to enjoy the fear it was provoking in the girls. It didn't approach the window. It just kept walking back and forth while maintaining direct eye contact with them the whole time. Just then, their parents pulled into the driveway, the headlights shining in the window, temporarily blinding the girls. When they looked back, the werewolf was gone. They told their dad when he got in and he went out to take a look, but nothing was there, nor were there any tracks, but you can't typically see much in that dry Colorado grass anyway. Those are two stories that I think of from time to time. I find them curious seeing as how close they occurred, so close to a major metropolitan area. But even for the sprawl, Denver is still just a blip on the map where the Great Plains meet the Rocky Mountains, and there are numerous green belts and creeks and rivers that snake all the way down from the mountains and into the city. As humans continue to expand into wilderness areas, I think we can expect to see more and more encounters of this sort. The Birdman from Anonymous Back in 2014, I was looking for a fresh start with my two children and newborn baby. We received our first apartment in a shady area of town. It was nice enough to call home. The inside was decent. Our kitchen window faced a playground, which made our new home that much more welcoming. All the bedrooms were located upstairs, where my older two children finally had their own rooms across the hall from mine. At the time, it felt like things were really looking up for my family. Unfortunately, this would change. One day we came home to official warning notes that were taped to everyone's doors in our neighborhood, warning of recent local break-ins. My eldest son's behavior towards being in his bedroom at night slowly began to change as well. He seemed to be afraid, but I thought nothing of it at first, as I found this typical for his age. One night I woke up out of the dead of sleep to discover to my horror what has been haunting my son. I heard my daughter scream and a loud crash. I urged my then boyfriend to go with me to see what happened. The crash was so loud, I knew my two children couldn't have been behind it. As I clutched my baby in my hands and followed behind my boyfriend, I could see my son frozen in fear in his bed. I glanced at the fan that fell to the ground. Things were not making sense, until the moonlight that shined through the small window above my son's bed revealed a humanoid figure crouched beside his bed. Its head was covered in black feathers. Its eyes glowed red in the dark, like a predator, but its long, twisted, crooked beak that curved was the most disturbing part. It had the body of a human, with small black feathers that ran along the shoulders and arms. Crouched on all fours, it put a single finger to its beak and shushed me. I screamed to my boyfriend, What is that? Do you see that? I then grabbed my son with me out of his bed, pulling him close to me and rushing out of the room. I searched for my daughter in her room, and I had trouble finding her at first, but eventually I did. I found her with tears running down her face. We called the police, and they determined no force of entry. There was no trace of this thing that had somehow broke into our home. We had the kids sleep in our room that night. 
When I discussed this with my then-boyfriend, he told me he didn't see anything out of the ordinary that night, just a busted fan on the floor. This event traumatized my oldest son. He told me he thought this creature or person had been his friend. He said it watched him from his closet every night. One night, it was at the end of his bed. He told me he felt paralyzed, even though the thing hadn't touched him. When we first moved in, he got out of the bed and went in the closet with the Birdman creature. The thing didn't even flinch. It just continued to stare at his bed. I couldn't bear to hear any more of this. After all, I'd seen the terror of what he was talking about. But I still believed it was just some intruder in a costume. Perhaps he was making this story up. Maybe he overheard what I saw as I described it to the cops. Or at the very least, it was maybe a hallucination. Given that my now ex didn't see the person or creature, the hallucination explanation seemed likely. That was until my daughter, six years later, remembered this event and finally spoke of it. She told me she had heard the crash too. She opened her brother's door in time to see the bird man creature emerge from the closet. He crawled and lurched across the floor on all fours behind their little couch. It didn't make eye contact with my daughter. It was then that she screamed as it was heading towards my son's bed, with him still in it. Then my daughter ran off to hide. I entered my son's room soon after. I'm not sure why we all saw this creature, why my then-boyfriend didn't, and why it never actually touched us. I'm not even sure if this thing was actually human. Have you ever encountered anything like this? All Fun and Games From Chicky Baby All my life, I grew up playing in the woods. From the time I was a little girl going fishing with my grandfather along the rivers in mid-Michigan to present day living in Florida. But this story takes place in a growing town in Alabama. I was around 17 years old, and like any high school teen, I was learning about what real freedom was, going and spending the night at friends' houses, and going out to the Greenways, which is just a nature walk for soccer moms with a playground at both ends. It was around 11pm and, per usual, my night owl friends and I were bored. We weren't allowed to smoke in the house, or around our parents at all since living in the Bible Belt and a military town, it was highly looked down on. We were over at a friend's house. For their sake, I'll call them L and M. Per norm, we decided to go on an adventure in the middle of the night. We picked up our other friends, Matt, A, and J. We had the bright idea of going up the nearest mountain which was at the center of the town with lots of pathways and greenways. Surely nothing could be living that close to human population, right? As we pulled up to the mountain, it seemed extra dark, as rain clouds started to roll in. That didn't stop us, despite the fact that Elle had worn her flip-flops to hike a trail in the dark. Getting out of the car, there wasn't a sound around us, just the crunch of gravel under our shoes. I'd worn boots since I was the iconic goth girl. Em and I had visited the mountain many times before in the daytime. It was a gorgeous place that overlooked the town we lived in. Our destination would be a large boulder stacked on top of other boulders. Once we reached the rock, we each took turns helping one another climb up the rock. We started getting lost in conversation like teens do. 
L and Matt were a couple and J was my boyfriend at the time, and A would be later in life. M is my best friend and to this day still is. As usual, I pulled out my bag and filled the fancy glassware that I'd brought that day, a pretty little bowl with pinks and yellows, but I ended up dropping it. With a tink, tink, and crash, it had bounced off the rocky formation in front of us and into the darkness of the woods below. After a moment of debating what we should all do now, A wanted to impress the lot, deciding to climb down and trying to fetch the broken pieces. Maybe it's not completely ruined, A said. I rolled my eyes at that, knowing it very much was. As he climbed down and out of sight, I got this weird feeling, like we weren't actually alone out here. I quickly pushed this to the back of my mind, as the mountain was surrounded by people's homes, so maybe someone was out here. From the dark, we could hear A's footsteps. That alone was kind of creepy until I heard something off. I quickly shushed my friends and listened. Bushes further down were rustling every time my friend A took a step, and it wasn't from him. You guys hear that? I asked the group. They each looked at me wide-eyed and nodded. L called out to A. Forget it! Get back up here and let's go! Again, the bushes moved. A must have heard it too, because his footsteps became more frantic. He hurried to retrace his steps up the steep hill in the dark. Every step he took closer to us, that thing in the dark took another step closer to him. I could hear its footsteps now. They were calm, deliberate, and heavy. I nodded to Jay and M, who got L and Matt's attention. We slowly and as quietly as we could began to climb down. That's when the rain began to fall, making the rocks slippery and helping hide the sound of whatever it was out there following my friend right to us. We started walking quietly at first, trying to make very little noise, until A finally caught up to us. He was out of breath and looked terrified. Having been the one to know the path by memory, I began to lead us out of there until I heard the bushes by the rock beginning to move. It was right behind us. I burst out, get to the car, and we took off running. L behind me had to go a little slower, but Matt made sure she didn't trip or hurt herself, having chosen poor footwear for the occasion. Thump, thump, thump. Something big was coming after us, which fueled us all forward like we were track stars until we finally threw ourselves into the car, peeling out, sending rocks flying in all directions. It was a quiet trip down the winding mountain as the group had their eyes on the woods. Being the oldest and the driver, I kept my eyes on the road and ditches. It wasn't until we were surrounded by streetlights and houses that we slowed down, and I finally took a breath. M looked at me. What the heck was that? A bear? A mountain lion? I shook my head. In the middle of the city? We never did find out what it was that chased us through the dark. One thing is for sure, we never went back to that spot past sundown. Warning. The following story contains mentions of self-harm. The Whistling From Hey It's Eli I'm around 16 now, but these encounters happened every winter from 2016 to 2020. I'll be sharing my first encounter and the two most scarring ones. The first encounter was on December 17th of 2016. 
I was 10 years old. It was about 9pm when I was told to take out the trash for my parents, which I begrudgingly agreed to. Once I was at the curb, I felt like I was being watched from every direction. My young mind thought to look around for the thing watching me, but there was nothing, nowhere for it to hide. As I began to return to the front door, I froze. There was this odd whistling noise. It sounded like it was trying to lure me to where it was, but there was something off about this whistling. It didn't sound like something a person could make at all. It sounded otherworldly. My heart began racing, and I ran back inside to immediately tell my parents about this thing outside. My dad stepped outside with a metal baseball bat behind his back, with me hiding behind him as well. He scanned the area with his eyes, then turned back to me and picked me up. There's nobody out there, and if there was, I'd mash them up with this bat like mashed potatoes. His words made me slightly happier. I giggled a bit. Later, I fell asleep as usual that night. But I woke up at around 2 a.m., and once again, I could hear the sound of that horrible whistling. I was frozen in place for around 15 minutes straight, until it finally stopped. But I waited five more minutes until slowly getting up. As soon as I got up though, there was a tapping on the window. The window right next to my bed. I hid under my covers and cried until it also stopped. When it finally stopped, I bolted into my parents' room. I cried loudly to them that there was something whistling and tapping on my window. After that night, it happened the same way until December 2nd of 2019. I was 13 then, and I forgot completely about the incident. Well, almost. We moved to a new house, meaning there was no window right over my bed. It was roughly 1am when I snuck out of the house to go hang out and smoke with my girlfriend. When I made it to the park, she was there as we had planned. We talked sweetly to each other, and all that stuff, and as we were focused on each other, I heard that darned whistling. She heard it too, making her jump. All those horrifying memories came flooding back as I held her close to me, telling her in a serious tone, we need to get out of here and to my house, now. We ran as fast as we could back to my house. We climbed through my bedroom window and locked it shut, still hearing that creepy whistling. She stayed at my house that night. I had to admit to my parents that I snuck out with her. They weren't that mad, actually. In the morning, she went back to her house. I walked her over there, of course. The third and final encounter was the worst of all. It was January 1st of 2020. I was 14, and sadly, my girlfriend and I broke up a couple of days after that other encounter. I decided I would stay out of serious relationships for a while. Maybe it would help my mental health which was rapidly declining after two self-harm attempts last year. My feelings after the breakup had made it worse. The house I moved into in 2019 had thick woods on all sides, about seven miles away from the closest house. I decided to explore the woods, 
wanting to make a small shelter for practice surviving in the woods. I took my machete with me and my golden retriever, Maisie. As we walked through the woods, Maisie began to growl aggressively. She hadn't sounded like this before, so it caught me off guard. I tried to calm her down, asking her what's wrong. Curiously, I looked in the direction she was staring. I stopped breathing. The whistling began as soon as I saw the thing. This time it wasn't dark out, so it was fairly easy to make out the figure's appearance. It looked to be seven to eight feet tall, it had horns like a ram, and looked like a goat. But it was standing on two legs, with its knees bent backwards, and orange, almost glowing eyes. It opened its mouth, but instead of a whistle, it let out a blood-curdling scream. That sound was so gut-wrenching, I almost threw up right there. Terrified, I ran back to my house as quick as I could with Maisie, not looking back until I got back inside. When I did look back, I saw those two orange eyes staring at me, but then it ran back into the woods. I was mentally scarred for life that day, and I never went back in those woods again. I attempted to search up what I thought it was, and the only possible thing it could have been was the goat man. After reading stories about the goat man, I was thankful that I got away from it. I've always wondered what would have happened to me if I'd followed those whistling sounds all those years ago. I hope I never hear it again. Creatures in the Tall Grass From Butterfly 7 This happened back when I was 13. Every day I had to go to the local park because my brother wanted to go to the skate park. It was pretty boring, so I started inviting one of my friends to go with me. My friend was a shy kid, let's call him G. G and I were never terribly close, but we were stuck together, so we became steadily closer over the years. Now at our local park, there is a big soccer field, and at the edge there is a fence. If you go past this fence, you'll find a big drop-off into a valley. My other friends and I had gone down a few other times, but this time it was just me and G. I had planned to go down and explore more, as I'd started to make a map and wanted to put more on it. G and I slid down the dirt hill. We got down to the bottom, which had a dried-up river, and we began to look around. We joked and jumped on rocks, but I had this sinking feeling of being watched. I ignored it, and we continued our adventure. We walked up the dried riverbed, to what I called the Pine Hill, because the whole hill was covered in pine needles. G and I began to climb up. I beat him to the top, being the more athletic one. As I waited for G at the top, I looked around. The place was mostly just pine trees, and they grew really close together, so I couldn't see the bottom on the hill. Then I made a mistake and looked up. I almost screamed when I saw that the branches had bones hanging from them. A few skulls here and there. The bones seemed to be hanging from dried skin. It looked like the remains of cows or pigs. Even so, that didn't stop the fear from flooding in. I covered my mouth and nearly jumped out of my skin when G came up behind me. Not wanting to scare G, I told him we should go back down the hill and back to the park. But G shook his head, saying he wanted to look around more. I tried not to think about what I saw, 
but it stuck with me as we walked around the hilltop. As we walked in the opposite direction of where we'd come from, I felt more and more uncomfortable. I was prepared to chicken out on G and leave knowing he would leave with me. But then I saw it, a big barbed wire fence. Past it was a field of cane grass. It swayed in the wind. G started to move towards the fence, wanting to go past the fence and into the field. But I stopped him, grabbing his arm. G started to object, but that's when we heard a low growl. The two of us froze. The cane grass on the right began to sway, like something big was walking through it, coming our way. Then we heard this loud screech from behind the thing. The big thing growled in response. My fight-or-flight response to all of this kicked in, and still holding G's arm, I turned and ran. Not long after that, I heard the crashing of branches behind us and a roar of anger, but I ignored all of it. We slid down the hill quickly. Now something to explain here is that the river curved around this hill, so I thought going straight down would lead us to where we started. But when we reached the bottom, I didn't even recognize where we were. So after I paused for only a moment, I chose a new direction quickly and ran that way. Thankfully, it was a good guess. We soon reached our actual starting point. Never in my life have I climbed a hill so fast. G and I were like monkeys using vines to pull ourselves up faster. When I thought I was safe hiding behind a big tree, I looked down. I wish I hadn't. I saw those two things down at the bottom. The bigger one looked up at me. They were both huge, covered in dark fur. Neither of them had eyes, and the bigger one snarled when it saw me, though I have no idea how it could see at all. And I swear I heard it speak. Leave. I turned and kept climbing. I basically flew over the fence and ran across the soccer field. G was already out and sitting on a bench, catching his breath. We didn't talk about what happened, and I don't think we have since. But every time I go to the park, I get this sinking feeling. And some days when I'm walking around the soccer field... I hear those things growling and screeching in the distance. Something followed me to my friend's house. From Turkle265. Around five years ago in a tiny town called Oakham in Massachusetts, my ex and my daughter lived on one side of town and my friend on the other. I would watch my daughter while my ex was at work and since I didn't have a car at the time, I would walk to my friend's house after putting my daughter to bed. It was only about 1.5 miles. It wasn't a bad walk. One day I was taking that walk. I caught something out of the corner of my eye. I shined my flashlight, which I usually keep with me because these walks are always at around 8pm. I saw this really big looking dog, but I didn't think much of it. It didn't seem to reflect any of the light. Like the circle the flashlight beam made was all green grass in this person's driveway with a big black silhouette in the middle. The road I walk down is just forest on either side with one streetlight in the whole 1.5 mile walk with a few houses here and there. And whatever that thing was, it was following me just inside the tree line. Now, whatever that thing was, coyote, someone's pet or something else, it followed me all the way to my friend's house, 
and when I got there, my friend's dog began to freak out, throwing himself at the door, trying to get away, making noises closer to a chicken than a dog. Let me tell you, when you're walking in the dark and can clearly hear leaves and sticks crunching just out of your sight, it's pretty darn scary, knowing you're being followed, not knowing what it is. Now for the speculation. What if it was a Wendigo? After all, the thing didn't reflect any light, as if it was unnatural. Also, my friend had been studying them a lot, and perhaps he had attracted one to our neighborhood. Not to mention, later on that night, my friend and I were sitting at his kitchen table, and there was this huge bang on the house wall. We jumped up and looked around, but there wasn't a penny out of place. That's about it. Regardless of whether you want to believe the Wendigo part, the getting followed by something down an unlit road at night part is very true. On another occasion, I was with that same friend doing whatever in his backyard, and we saw a porcupine. No big deal. Until the porcupine stood up on its hind legs, turned its whole body to look right at us, turned back, and walked off into the trees on its hind legs like a little person. I'm not kidding. I don't know if that's a thing porcupines do, but it was weird. Thanks for listening. With that, we're at the end of this week's episode of Unexplained Encounters. Don't worry, I'll be back soon with more scary stories for you to enjoy. If you don't like to wait, subscribe to Darkness Prevails on YouTube to catch new stories sooner. If you want to hear me read your story, send it to me at darkstories.org. Before I go, help us spread the word and reach new listeners. Just share this podcast with your friends and family, follow us on Spotify, and or review us on iTunes. Thank you. Until next time, everyone, remember, this world is a strange one, so stay safe out there and stay creepy. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Thank you.